And I had to go this cross-country route up this thing called Avalanche Gulch. I was just thinking, man, I wish I had someone else with me. I, you know, I called it and it was one of those things where if I had another person with me, I would have felt a lot safer. But uh, I mean, there was nobody out there at all. Uh, you know, sometimes you, you have to, to take the, the lame but safe um, route out. Episode 41, Long Distance Adventure Hiking with Liz Thomas. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Welcome to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Travis Parsons. Today we have Liz Thomas. Liz Thomas is a renowned thru-hiker. She's uh, known for being the female record holder for fastest unsupported uh, thru-hike of the Appalachian Trail. I believe that record still stands. Is that correct, Liz? It, it does still stand. It was set back in 2011. And you also are known for having the Triple Crown. So tell us a little bit about what the Triple Crown means in thru-hiking. So the Triple Crown in thru-hiking is awarded to hikers who have hiked the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, and the Continental Divide Trail. Um, so 8,000 miles of hiking on the premier hiking long-distance trails in the United States. And currently, I think there's I, I still think this stands true. There are more people who have uh, been in space than have completed the Triple Crown. No kidding. That I, I, that I think that's still true. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> not, I have not heard that. That's cool. Um, I think there are more people who have climbed Everest in one day. It was some, some day in May of uh, uh, 2008, maybe, on one day on Mount Everest than have completed the Triple Crown. Wow, that's awesome. Well, good for you. I mean, you have a lot of miles under your feet. I was reading up more about you. Um, and just to mention, the first time I heard about you, Snorkel, um, was on the Trail Show podcast. And I just wanted to kind of give a shout out to those guys. They do a fun show. Uh, I like listening to them, been listening to them for a little while now. Um, and the first time I heard about Snorkel uh, was on the Trail Show. So I would say if you haven't discovered the Trail Show, go go find them. They're a, they're a hoot to listen to. But that brings up my fun. next brings up my next question. The name Snorkel, that's your trail name, right? So how'd that come about? So that happened the first time I hiked the Appalachian Trail. I didn't really know what I was doing. In fact, I started the trail without a sleeping bag. Uh, not not really of choice. I thought I would make my own sleeping bag, and I had all the, the stuff to make it. I just kind of didn't finish it before I needed to go start the trail. So I was hoping my mom would kind of help finish sewing it. And uh, so, you know, we talked about it, and I said, hey, Mom, can you send it to the first resupply point, which is about 30 miles in? And uh, my... my uh, kind of backup plan before that was to just take the fleece blanket from Delta, um, the flight that I took out to Atlanta, and use that <laughs> as a, a sleeping bag. And uh, by the time I got 30 miles in, the package isn't there. My mom says, that sleeping bag isn't done, and it's not coming to you. Go buy a sleeping bag. Um, 
that that w- I got a really great sleeping bag. It was pretty expensive, and they said, you know, it'll last 10 years. And I'm thinking, okay, this is great. Um, 500 miles in, I roll into a gear store, and they sell the same sleeping bag, except their bag looks fluffy and warm, and mine is all kind of sad and deflated. And I'm thinking, what gives? So I, I talked to the guy at the outfitter. He said, well, do you stick your head in your sleeping bag? I was like, yeah, I got to keep my face warm. And he says, well, you need a snorkel to stick out the top. Your breath is condensing the down. And, uh, of course, growing up in the West, the air is so dry here that you can stick your head in your sleeping bag and it's going to evaporate. But on the East Coast, it's humid enough that just the, the moisture in your breath is enough to cause all those little down um, filaments to, to start um, condensing a little bit and, and uh, preventing loft that keeps you warm. Wow, that's cool. That's actually a really good tip for those that don't know. And I wouldn't have known about that myself. Grew up on the East Coast, but never thought much about my camping equipment and about the the down being condensed with my breath. But that's a that's actually a great tip. Yeah, and and the thing is too, when you're hiking day in day out as a through hiker, you don't really get a great opportunity to dry it out, dry your sleeping bag out. You might dry it out one day when you're in town, it's just going to happen again. So you keep getting this compounded day after day and soon you've got a wet, pretty much useless sleeping bag. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny. Especially when you're trying to set records for, uh, for through hikes. So with that record, what does that mean? How fast did you do the Appalachian trail? So I hiked it in 80 and a half days. Um, I took three zero days, which is pretty rare for, um, a record attempt. Um, and uh, so if you, you don't count in the, the zeros, it was about 28 miles a day. Wow. Wow. That's, a, that's covering a lot of distance, especially on the, on the trail. I mean, doing that on the pavement would be a, a great feat, much less on the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, the up and down on the Appalachian Trail, the elevation gain is, is kind of the thing that makes it tricky, as well as the weather raining. I mean, it's not uncommon to have a month of rain, which, of course, we've been having in Denver, so it's not <laughs> yeah, right. that special. But, um, you know, wet rocks, wet roots, um, there's a lot of hand over hand on the Appalachian Trail, which um, it's kind of surprised me coming from the West Coast. I, I was used to kind of, um, you know, nice 10% grade for horses trails. And going out there where there's ladders and rebar and wet slab that you have to climb and roots and tree belays. It was it was a, a different animal the first time I hiked it, for sure. Oh, that's interesting. I would have had no idea that that would be part of the Appalachian Trail. Do the other trails have any of that with them, or is the Appalachian the only one that has that kind of hand-over-hand climbing? Uh, I would say, that, yeah, the Appalachian Trail does. There's some alternates on the Continental Divide Trail that, uh, that do take a little rock climbing into account. And, you know, if you're on the Pacific Crest Trail and want to go do some peak bagging, you can get that in too. But um, otherwise, both of the both Pacific Crest Trail and the Continental Divide Trail are pretty uh, pretty non-technical. Okay. I mean, the, the Appalachian Trail is too, but it, there is some hand-over-hand. Right. Still non-technical. Well, that's good to know for people that might be looking to uh, to do it for the first time. I guess anybody that's going to do it for the first time should be researching it anyway, and hopefully they'll discover that before they set out. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you get into through hiking? What made you think you wanted to do this? What was your first time like? Um, So when I I actually started getting into hiking when I was in college, um, and that was was really when I started doing longer trips, Um, I was really into 
kind of these 24-hour, how many miles can you do, how much elevation can you get sort of peak bagging um, endeavors. And I was living in Southern California at the time, and pretty much any time you try to go up and climb a big mountain in Southern California this year, you're, you're going to cross the Pacific Crest Trail. So I kept thinking, hey, th- I keep seeing this trail over and over again. It goes all the way to Canada. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, so I kind of got in the back of my mind that I'd like to do the PCT. And what really cemented it for me is uh, I spent three summers working out, um, out just outside of Yosemite and Lee Vining uh, doing field research um, on ecology. And really, it was just an excuse to hang out in the Sierra. But um, I was uh, hanging out at that Tuolumne Meadows store in Yosemite one day. And these guys just bearded, looked like they were having the worst day ever, come and sit at the same picnic table I'm at. We start chatting, and they're, they're talking about how they're hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. This was back in 2005, a legendary um, big snow year. People started the PCT that year, and they were like, man, you know, we're less than, I don't know, they're like a quarter of the way through. And uh, they're like, yeah, three guys have already died. And somehow when I heard that, I was like, man, that, that would be pretty cool to do. I, I kind of want to go and do this PCT. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> okay, so I saw that you've been featured in Backpacker Magazine, the Wall Street Journal, and LA Magazine. Um, was that pretty recently? Um, so actually, I just was um, – it might be the current issue of Backpacker. I was in another article on navigation um, the Wall Street Journal, uh, let's see, that that was a few years ago. Um, one of my sponsors, um, they were doing a big talk about um, for, uh, Darn Tough Socks, Vermont Darn Tough Socks, and how they're made in the U.S., and how they're able to manufacture products um, in the U.S. and get a quality product that, that still is able to be a successful company. And so they were talking about, uh, they, they wanted a, an athlete who would use the socks and uh, to, to speak about that. Um, and LA Magazine, I think, was when I hiked uh, hiked uh, the urban through hike of Los Angeles. Okay, I saw I saw um, something about doing 300 stairways in five days in LA. Was that part of that, or is that something else? And why in the heck do you want to do that many stairways in five days? <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yes, that, that was part of it. Um, so the Inman 300 is a urban through hike, the world's first urban through hike in Los Angeles. And um, the original idea behind this through hiking was a, a, a guy named Dan Koppel um, well, lived in L.A. and he was training to do the John Muir Trail. And he kept having to drive an hour, two hours to get up to the mountains to do his training. And he was thinking, you know, I can walk 20 miles in town. There's a lot of hills and there's actually stairs here that gain quite a bit of elevation. And I can just go out my front door and get my training in. I don't need to do all of this driving just to train for a through hike. And um, uh, I was invited by Andrew Leakman, who's part of this Los Angeles stair climbing community, and um, Bob Inman, who the Inman 300 is named after, to come out and, and test out this um, this trail that they created that connected all 300 of the public stairways in Los Angeles. Um, so you're, we're talking like 5,000 feet a, a, of gain a day if you're doing like 25 miles, 35 miles a day. You know, real mountain-like terrain, except you're in a city. Right. So... They invited me to come out there. They invited me in April, and I was thinking, well, you know, that's kind of my training season anyway. The snow hasn't melted out here in Colorado that well. You know, maybe I'll go out there and just see what this is about, you know, 
if nothing else, it's training. And I ended up really falling in love with urban through hiking and, and the sort of experiences um, that you, and things that you can learn uh, walking around cities. Yeah, it's interesting. So, I mean, is urban through hiking a thing or is just, just kind of like, <laughs> we're going to invent it now because, <laughs> because it can be a thing. Um, you know, I think it's starting to take off. Um, and there's quite a few people who like through hiking, who long distance through hike, and they're starting to realize, hey, um, you know, I've got a job. I can't really commit to going up in the mountains. Um, it'd be nice if I were near my phone so I could take calls from clients um, that, that are, are starting to see some of the benefits of through hiking. And um, we have people who grew up in cities um, like Los Angeles who are using through hiking as a way to understand their past and kind of process um, their experiences that they had in that city before. Um, right now, I'm, I'm doing a, a long-distance hike in Denver, and it's kind of just a cool way to piece together, um, you know, a town that I live in, uh, seeing different aspects of it, different angles, different neighborhoods, um, in, in a way that you can't really experience in a car. Yeah, that's a good point. That was one of the, the first things that came to mind when, when you started talking about it is what a cool way to, to get to know your own city. You know, we all drive through them in our cars and we whiz past, you know, certain, um, you know, uh, points of interest and whatnot. And we, we never get to see them. But if you're going to throw on a pair of boots and a, and a backpack and take the time to actually go through these, you can you stand to see a lot more than you normally would. For sure, and and sometimes you know you're it's there's neighborhoods that we skip over, or kind of we try to pretend don't exist, and it's it's a way of seeing how these neighborhoods are still an important part of our communities, even if it's not someplace that we we go or think of as particularly scenic. Um, it still has a, a it's still part of the fabric of of at least in my case what makes Denver or what makes L.A. Um, or what makes San Francisco. Yeah, or some cool. of the other cities that that are are uh, hiked through quite a bit. Right. No, I think it's a it's a neat idea. Um, I think people should get out there and and figure out their cities a little bit more than we normally do. We hide behind our our steel and glass a lot, and like you said, there are areas where we like to pretend that don't exist. But I mean, that's that's the real world right there. You know, go out and see it. <laughs> yeah, and I think another great thing about urban hiking too is that for I have quite a few friends who are like, you know, I like walking, but you know, I want to sleep in a real bed or I want to be able to take a shower every night and I don't want to have to carry a tent and food. And with urban through hiking, you don't have to do any of that. You can just go out there uh, with a really minimal pack and eat from restaurants and sleep in hotels or stay with friends and take a shower every night, do laundry. So it's kind of a plush way of experiencing, uh, you know, still getting a lot of miles on your feet without some of the nitty grittier parts of, of uh, through hiking. Yeah. No, that's, that's cool. I like that. So we actually caught you in a coffee shop on Colfax Avenue. So you're halfway through your, your through hike um, over two days, correct? That's right. So why would you encourage people to take up hiking and through hiking? Well, um, you know, one thing about through hiking that I really appreciate is getting to see the world, getting to see how things are connected. So, for example, hiking on the Appalachian Trail and walking all the way to Maine, I was able to experience kind of how 
the cultures change very slowly as you head north. Um, you get to really interact with people in a way that a lot of uh, travel wouldn't otherwise do. And, uh, oh, the big thunder. And, and you get to... Uh, <laughs> You get to see how everything is connected. And when you come back, you have this idea of, you know, it's not just a me, me, me world. There's other people. There's other ways of living. There's co- different, completely different points of view than, than what you had before you came into the hike. So I think in, in that way, you can go into the rest of your life a little more compassionate towards people, towards the environment than when you started your hike. Yeah, it's a good point, and I think that carries over to the urban through hiking. Like you're saying, it really, it really can be an eye opener. Um, you know, we perceive the world one way, but things are never as we perceive it. We get out there in the open and experience the real world, and it really opens our eyes to what really goes on and how people really are. And I think you find that you get the best out of people when you're out there one on one with them like that, instead of just making our assumptions. For sure. And my favorite thing about any long-distance trail is it's a great leveler. You know, the way that our society is set up, the way that a lot of our communities are set up, you don't get to interact with people from different backgrounds, from different socioeconomic classes. On the trail, everyone you meet is wearing the same sort of gear, same sort of stinks coming off of them. (laughs) We're all hungry. We've all been up the same hill. And, man, I've had friends from from all walks of life, and I can't think of any other experience in – you know, the real world where you get to just meet people from everywhere and share stories and really have that camaraderie. I think that's really one of the great pieces of magic of, of long distance hiking. Right. Yeah. You make it, it uh, sounds alluring hearing you describe it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It sounds like it. So tell us a story about the most amazing experience that got you hooked on hiking. So, as I mentioned, when I was in college, I was really into doing these 24-hour hikes, these uh, these peak bagging trips. And um, some of my hiking friends, um, actually, it's kind of funny. When I was in college, most of my hiking friends were in their 60s or in their late 50s. Um, these, these old men that I met at the hiking gym who really were such great mentors to me. Um, they loved mountaineering and they, they loved having someone to share it with. And they had been talking about how they saw on the Internet that there were some, some people in the, the California hiking community who had gone out and done the three highest peaks in Southern California. And they had tried to do it in a day, but they couldn't. And I was thinking, man, I, I could probably do that in a day. So I, I went out um, on Thanksgiving Day. Um, instead of going home or spending time with my family, I drove out my car to a trailhead um, went up Mount Baldy, went out San Gregonio, and went up uh, San Jacinto all by myself um, and drove in between the two hours in between each of the mountains. And there was something that, that uh, about just pushing and going solo and not worrying what other people thought and just um, enjoying nature that was really amazing and this go, go, go that I loved. And I think that's what got me into through hiking is this idea of of having this go, 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 um, just totally immersing myself in nature that I really loved. Right, right. Yeah, it allows you to get inside your head, which begs the next question, is it better by yourself or better with fellow hikers? Uh, that, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I like to have a good balance of both. Both. Um, you know, there's advantages to going by yourself. You can set your own pace. You can decide when you want to take your breaks. Um, you can... 
start when you want, finish when you want. Uh, there's advantages to going with people too, conversation. So, you know, and ideally, I think for a long trail, um, starting solo, but not being afraid to hike for a while with people that you meet along the way who are really entertaining, whether it be for 10 minutes or, you know, a couple months. Uh, really, it just depends on how much, uh, how much you like the person, I guess, how entertaining they are. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I think you're, you're right. You need that balance. I mean, if you, if you can't be comfortable by yourself, um, you know, out there, then there might be something wrong. You have to, people have to get that. We're, we're around people so often in our offices around, you know, in the traffic and the highways and whatnot, that just getting out and being inside your own mind is, uh, man, if you, you've got to do that, that's, that is uh, a necessity for uh, sanity, I think. Definitely. And when you're by yourself, you can take a little bit more time to process both your own thoughts and what you ca- what whatever baggage you came to the woods with. But also you, you pay a little bit more attention to nature. Um, there's been so many times when I've been chatting with friends on the trail and we'll miss an intersection or we'll pass over some famous spot that I, you know, I was so wrapped up in the conversation I didn't even notice. Yeah, you get something on your list of of things to see. Get halfway through a through a hoot through hike and miss it because you're sitting there chatting it up with your buddies, and <laughs> it's kind of a bummer. You get miles past it and think, "Oh crap!" <laughs> I, was, I just wanted to see that. <laughs> That's funny. Geargasm.net is the number one place to buy outdoor gear made by startups, independent, and innovative outdoor brands. They sell everything from backpacks, stoves, tents, solar power technology, trekking poles, and everything else you need when you go outdoors. Check out their full line of products for all of your day hiking, backpacking, and car camping needs at Geargasm.net. That's G-E-A-R-G-A-Z-M.net. Be sure to use the coupon code PODCAST to save 10% on your next order. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Will you help us spread the word about the show? First, tell your friends to give us a listen. You can also help us out by taking a minute and going into iTunes to subscribe, then rate and leave us a review. Thanks for being a part of our show. I imagine a part of hiking with others, you know, brings um, some safety. At least it, it uh, allows you to not have to worry about the safety a little bit. Is there a time when, when you were out there by yourself and you had one of those moments where you're just thinking, "You kind of wish, kind of wish people were here with me now." <laughs> yeah, I was last year. I went out to hike the Trans Adirondack Route, which is this new 235 mile route. Um, that goes from the southern border of Adirondack Park to the northern border. It was uh, put together by Eric Schlimmer and Eric Schlimmer and like one other person or one other group of people have done it, something like that. The and uh, I went out to go do it, and I went. You know, last year on the East Coast was a, a really big snow year. Well, maybe not as big as this year, but it was really cold. And I went out at the end of April. That's pretty much the only time I could get out there, and there was still quite a bit of snow and. Uh, 
you know, the peaks out there are only 4,000 feet tall, but they, they keep, they're so far north, they keep uh, snow quite a bit. And I had to go this cross-country route up this thing called Avalanche Gulch. And uh, I was just thinking, man, I wish I had someone else with me. I ended up turning around, and uh, I still have some miles left to do on that route. Just, I, you know, I called it, and it was one of those things where if I had another person with me, I would have felt a lot safer. But um, when you're on a, a, a long trip and you're in some place without cell reception, without, uh, I mean, there was nobody out there at all. Uh, you know, sometimes you, you have to, to take the, the lame but safe um, route out. No, I agree. You can't always take the, the risk. It doesn't need to be a risky sport, just an enjoyable one. You're, you're wise right. to do that. So a lot of people listening uh, are sitting there wishing they were in your shoes because you obviously get a lot of time out there in the woods hiking, being with yourself or being with close friends. Um, first of all, good good on you for making that happen. Uh, not a lot of people get to do that. Um, but how do you make it happen? They're also sitting there thinking, I got to go to work. I got to drive to work every day and I get my weekends. I don't have the time to go do all this awesome through hiking that Liz is talking about. So how do you make it happen? How do you balance having to live and, and pay bills and expenses yet spend all this great time out in the, the wilderness? You know, that that's the, that's the big question that I think everyone who has the through hiking bug is, is trying to come up with a really great answer. And the trail show actually did a whole episode where they talked to different people saying, how do you, how do you make it happen? You're out there a lot. So, you know, I, I don't have a really great solution for the last, uh, I think I'm on my ninth season of through hiking. Um, you know, it's a, whatever I can get in the winter. Um, a couple years ago, I did a sleep study through, uh, the University of Colorado where, uh, they kept me in a hospital for two weeks, uh, drew blood, took my urine. Um, you know, all made me stay up, uh, more hours than I wanted to. Um, and, uh, you know, I got enough money to through hike out of that, um, being a, a lab test, a lab rat. Um, you know, uh, right now what I'm doing is I, I'm, I'm doing, uh, independent contract work, um, for environmental consulting. And, uh, the idea is that once I finish up whatever contract I can go hiking, but um, we're, this is my first year doing that, so we're going to see how that works out. Well, good. I hope that pans out. And I think, yeah, I mean, if you go into it when you're young and you, you keep a level head and don't get yourself buried in a lot of bills and debt, then you can set yourself up to take advantage of that. Um, it, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of jealous. You know, I, I listened to you guys. I've talked to a few of the, the through hikers now. And every time I talk to you, one of you guys, I think, man, I want that five months. I want that five months to take off. You know, I want to go do the, the Continental Divide Trail and and uh, not skimp, not just have to do a little section of it. But keep that up. It's awesome. I think a lot of people are, are wishing they were uh, they were in your shoes for sure. So Liz, do you have any projects in the works that you wanted to talk about? Something that our listeners who are interested in your lifestyle might uh, seek out? Sure thing. So um, I've been working on two books. One of them is a uh, guidebook for day hikes and quick overnighters that can be done on the Continental Divide Trail in Colorado. So, you know, you don't have to hike from Mexico to Canada to experience what one of, some of these long-distance hikers, myself included, consider the absolute best total gem of the, the CDT. Um, and so this guidebook is, is going to say, you know, this is where you drive to this trailhead. Here's how you can 
see that really spectacular part of the CDT as, as something that's manageable in a day or in a, in a weekend. And uh, the other book that I'm working on is a guidebook for a trail that um, I pioneered last summer with two of my friends called the Chinook Trail. And uh, that's a double traverse of the Columbia River Gorge. So it starts up in the rainforest part of Washington, goes out to the desert part of Washington. You cross over the Columbia River and uh, go through the desert of Oregon on the old Oregon Trail and finish um, on the, in the rainforest part of Oregon. Um, so you hit up parts of the Pacific Crest Trail, parts of the Oregon Trail. Um, it's really a cool way to get that sort of ecosystem change that you get on the PCT when you're through hiking on a trip that's uh, pretty manageable um, for someone who's pretty fit um, in, in a two-week vacation. Wow, that's a good idea. So you guys pioneered that? That just means you, you blazed the trail and, and put it together, and, and now you're writing a book about it. Right. There, there, was a, there is a trail er- organization, the Chinook Trail Association, who had this idea for the trail. Um, at, but they, uh, they came up with this idea 20, 30 years ago, and no one had ever gone out and pieced it together and actually hiked it. So we, um, we contacted them, and they, they had unfortunately lost their maps at the time. And uh, so kind of verbally they said, well, we think it goes here, and we were able to put together this, uh, this route that uh, was just incredible, really scenic, um, just an amazing way to see the the Columbia River Gorge. Oh, that's awesome. Just a national recreation area. So how, uh, distance-wise, how long is it? You said you could somebody could do it in two weeks if they're a, a frequent hiker. Yeah, it's uh, about 200, we, we put it between 250 and 300 miles, depending on some of the alternates that you can take. Okay. Cool. That must be neat to have a, a trail that you've pioneered. Does that mean you get to uh, to name any interesting points after Liz Thomas? <laughs> I think I'll, a lot of the points on there uh, are, are uh, already named. Um, some of the areas are popular day hiking areas, and some of them um, people barely visit at all. But it's about the distance of the John Muir Trail. But you don't need a permit. You don't need a bear can. You don't have to worry about elevation. There's less elevation gain. It's just something you can really easily fly into the Portland airport, get a taxi out to the trailhead, and just go and do it. It sounds like a good good trail to maybe start out on. If you're not ready to do the, the five-month trip, um, maybe start out on that one and uh, and see how you like it first. Yeah, I, I think... Um, you know, what, what it's some of the navigation might be a little bit tricky for someone who um, hasn't had a lot of uh, you know orienteering experience. But you know, if, if you're a Boy Scout and uh, really want to see if you like through hiking, or if you're a through hiker who who isn't sure if you want to go out and do something like the Continental Divide Trail, um, it's it's a great trail for that. And one of the other things that make it beautiful too is that it's there's a lot of bailout points. So if something were to happen, you know, you can hop off the trail really easily and get into town. Or, um, you know, the the other side of that is if uh, your friends want to come visit you, it's super easy for them to come meet you for a day and bring you a bunch of food. Yeah, exactly. No, that sounds cool. So, and actually, I'm really intrigued about the uh, the Continental Divide Trail uh, guidebook that you're writing. You know, for like I said, I don't have five months to go hike the Continental Divide Trail. But what I would want to know is, like you're writing the guidebook, where are the good points to go 
check out and just piece a few uh, overnighters together. Uh, really looking forward to that book. So what's the timeline of these two books? So the timeline, I have to have the Continental Divide Trail book in to the publisher uh, October 1st, I think. So I want to say that's coming out in the spring of next year. Um, so just in time for... Um, for 2016 hiking uh, that summer, I, I believe. Um, you know, it's it's there's so much snow up in the mountains right now in 2015. Who knows if you'll be able yeah. to get out there and hike it <laughs> exactly. this year anyway. Um, and uh, the Chinook Trail, we're planning to self-publish through Amazon. And um, that doesn't have such a, a, a strict guideline because we're self-publishing and we don't have a, an editor, uh, you know, on our on our heels saying this needs to be uh, done. But um, our, our hope is to get that done. Um, you know, fall is really a great time to hike that trail. So if we could have that book ready for hikers in the fall, that, that would be ideal. Right. Okay. And have you done a uh, um, crowdfunding campaign for either one of them? You know, the the... The Continental Divide Trail book is done through the Colorado Mountain Club Press. Um, so I think they're dealing with the financials with that. Um, I, I know that I'm not. And um, it's done in conjunction with the Continental Divide Trail Coalition. They're, they're the, the, the main backer of that book. Um, as far as the Chinook Trail, we have not thought of doing crowdfunding. We might have to go forth and do something like that. That's a good suggestion. Yeah, I think you have a lot of people, I know particular to this uh, podcast, um, some of the most downloaded shows are hiking, backpacking, through hiking. So, yeah, I would say if you want to do that, you would probably get a pretty good backing for that. I think the trail sounds awesome. I would love to, to back it myself. So fire it up. We'll let people know yeah. about it. Yeah, that, thank you. And I do know there's a lot of interest in the in the Portland and Seattle area because it's so close. And also, um, we have some friends who are long distance hikers, but you know they also have real jobs, and uh, it's something that is really easy to piece together over a couple of weekends, um, just because there's there's a, a, quite a few access points for the trail. So I think that's really appealing to um, not just through hikers um, or, or backpackers, but people who want to just day hike it. Okay. Great. Well, this is a good time to let people know. Um, if you want to follow Liz and watch and see when these books are coming out, she's on Facebook at you know facebook.com slash snorkelhikes, S-N-O-R-K-E-L, hikes, uh, Twitter at E.A. Thomas, and her website is eathomas.com, and that's Thomas with an H. So check her out there. You're obviously very active on social media. In fact, I'm pretty jealous about your uh, your ability to get on social media and... <laughs> <laughs> and do that. I, I, for one, am terrible at social media and uh, must get better. So <laughs> good job. <laughs> Thank you. It's always a learning process. And I'm almost thinking, man, I go through these spurts like today where I'm hiking, where I'm posting a lot. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's so, so, something to, to aspire to is get involved more on social media. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, everybody go, go follow her there and uh, surely she'll be posting about when those books come out and I'll be keeping an eye on them as well. And, and when it does, oh, I'd thanks, actually like, you to, like to have you back on the show and have you talk about the book so we can uh, get some traction on them because I think they're fantastic ideas. Oh, thank you so much. That, well, that's a good incentive to get on them. <laughs> there you go. I'm glad to help. <laughs> so how would you say through hiking is a benefit to society? You know, I think it, t again, ties in back to um, what through hiking can teach people who go out there and do it. Um, 
And one of the things they can teach is what other pe- what people who live in different environments and different communities are like. Um, you know, hiking through some rural parts in Montana, people have very different ways of seeing the world than I did, but we were really able to connect over the most basic of things, uh, you know, food, shelter, and I would never have that experience if it, if it weren't for through hiking. I'm frequently, whenever I hang out with my friends from high school, you know, I'm sure their lives are really great, but I, I, I can't help but think, man, I'm so grateful that I have through hiking that has been able to expose me to so many different types of people and and really show me different communities all through the U.S. to, to better understand what it means to be an American. And um, the other magical thing about through hiking, too, is just the process of walking and being able to process things. I think, you know, Cheryl Strait is kind of the cliche version of this, but I think that wherever you go, you'll see people who are healed by the trail. And people who are healed and understand themselves go out into society and do good things. Um, they put out good energy in, into the world. Um, and I, I think that's, that's um, it's perhaps a, a little bit hard to, to explain how, how that helps. But you can really feel a difference um, for, between people before the trail and after the trail and, and how it's changed the way that they interact with other humans. Yeah, I can see that. I, uh, you know, you bring up Cheryl Strait and I hadn't seen that movie until after I interviewed, uh, Peter Schuster about doing the continental divide trail. And I went and, uh, and watched that movie and, you know, it's, it's believable. I mean, Obviously, it really happened, but as you're watching it, you really understand. You're like, okay, yeah, I mean, you know, this woman walks out there just um, just kind of torn down in life and, and on the wrong path, taking the wrong direction. She gets out there and just, you know, for lack of a better term, is able to cleanse cleanse herself, cleanse her mind out there. And For sure. Yeah, I think that's so powerful to, to be able to get out on the, in that environment. And again, by yourself has a lot to do with that, um, but it really lets you – learn who you are and i think it helps you build confidence that if if uh you know i meet so many people on the trail who've gone through divorces or who have lost their home or lost their job um and and you know society is kind of they've been wronged by society and going out and rebuilding themselves um being independent out there i think just helps boost people's confidence helps them heal and that that's one of the great things about the trail Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Don't forget to go to adventuresportspodcast.com and look for that click to call button on the left-hand side of the screen. Click that, you punch your number in, and you'll be automatically connected with our voicemail service, which will allow you to leave a message and tell us about your awesome story about your amazing adventure. We want to hear your stories. Give us a call, guys. Thanks. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new flame at 180tac.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. Hi, this is Kelly Coker with Bella Adventures, and you're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast.
So where do you go from here? What's on your bucket list? Where do you see yourself taking this through hiking life? Is it a is it a just a stop in your life's path, or do you think this is this is who I am? This is who I will be. Well, you know, in the through hiking community, we say you know there's there's people who go out and do one hike, and then there's people who get the bug and get infected, and it it becomes an addiction. It becomes everything that you 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 think about it every day and and think about how can I get back out there. So um, I think I'm in the camp that has the bug. <laughs> I, I would I would say. <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt about that. <laughs> you get bit hard. <laughs> That's good. So where do you see it taking you? Um, I, I like that you're you're doing the guidebooks about it and pioneering the the Chinook Trail. I think that's uh, that's awesome of you, and that's got to be I mean, one. It's inspiring, but two, it's got to be uh, self inspiring. You know, just to to launch into that. Uh, you know, pioneering routes is, is something that, that's really appeals to me. And I think, uh, the first time you do it, it's a little intimidating. And then you just start seeing things everywhere being like, Oh, I wonder if that'll work. Um, and, and just doing different trails. Um, I, there's a lot of options with the urban through hiking thing too. I think that's kind of helping me keep my sanity when I'm, I'm still working before I can go out for the summer. Um, you know, I, there's just so many things I want to do out there, and, and I, I feel so restricted by the length of a lifetime <laughs> to right. go out and, and do them. Your, your, your enthusiasm is bubbling over. <laughs> That's okay, though. That's a good problem to have. <laughs> Surely people listening will want to look more into through hiking and about the experience uh, farther than this podcast. What groups, organizations, websites would you recommend they go visit at first? Well, I would say definitely before you go out and hike a trail, check out the website of um, of the trail organization that is uh, the, the managing group of it. So for the CDT, the Continental Divide Trails, the Continental Divide Trail Coalition, PCT is the Pacific Crest Trail Association. And there's just their websites have just oodles of information about everything you could ever imagine of how to start, what sort of gear do I need. Uh, trailjournals.com is kind of a, a blog conglomerate website where people who go out and hike trails will do their day-to-day blog. But it's a it's a great way to just look up, hey, I can check out this trail and you can get a lot of information that way. Um, the American Long Distance Hiking Association uh, West, which I'm the vice president of, is a is a collection of we we give out the Triple Crown Award, but it's a it's a collection of long distance hikers and man. You know, you you go to to one of those meetings and you could learn everything you ever wanted to know about long distance hiking from there. So I w- I'd say those are all really good resources. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll put those in the show notes. So all of those of you trying to rewind and catch up, don't worry. I'll put them in the show notes so you can link right to them. Um, yeah, I have to to give my personal appreciation for the Continental Divide Trail Coalition. We, you know, as a company and as the podcast have recently got involved with them, uh, just helping do some fundraising and donating products. And every time we go down to one of their events, uh, they're just really happy, jovial people. They're all just as enthusiastic as you about what they do and about the trail that they support. And not only the trail they support, but all of the trails that are out there. So it's such a cool thing. Find one of their meet nights, go down, hook up with these guys. Uh, they're just awesome to hang out with. Thanks, Travis. Well, we're, we're looking forward to, to seeing some of the listeners there for sure. Well, I hope so. 
All right, before I let you go, I have to end with one more story. Hopefully you have one, and it's a funny story. A funny story from the trail. Okay, so on the Appalachian Trail, the halfway point of the trail is at Pine Grove Furnace State Park. And uh, there's a little store there that sells half gallons of ice cream. And if you eat all of the half gallon of ice cream, you get a little wooden spoon that says, I finished eating half a gallon of ice cream. So, of course, every thru-hiker has to do that. And, man, I am a very big fan of ice cream. In fact, uh, before I got the trail name Snorkel, I had thought about giving myself the trail name Vermonster after this uh, Ben and Jerry's concoction that is like 20 scoops of ice cream, four brownies, four bananas, four scoops of nuts, four scoops of fudge. Nice. Uh, I think that might be it. I think they might put some waffle cones in there, too. And I had split this this concoction before with seven of my friends. This is back before my thru-hiking days. And I had pretty much almost finished it myself. Well, I mean, there were six other people, I guess. Um, And this was before I was a thru-hiker. I just love ice cream that much. So I'd been hiking the entire Appalachian Trail just really... Man, I'm going to crush that half-gallon challenge. I'm going to break the record. I think the record was something like 16 minutes to eat half a gallon of ice cream. Oh, I was, God, I was ready freeze. to, <laughs> Yeah, I was ready to just, like, down that ice cream like no other. So it's just been mid-Atlantic, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York. In, the, in June, it's just hot and humid and muggy, and all you can think about is ice cream. So... Getting into Pennsylvania, I'm really excited about this. I'm re- I'm gonna I'm gonna down it. By the time I roll into Pine Grove Furnace State Park, it's uh it's pretty rainy. It's kind of cold actually, and you know, I I wasn't gonna let that. The fact that I was soaking wet and already shivering was not gonna <laughs> stop me from eating my ice cream. So I go up, I get my ice cream. I get Cherry's Jubilee, which you know is the pink one with the little cherry chunks in it. And I start looking at it, and uh, I, I, I go and I go, and I am visibly shivering while I'm eating this half gallon of ice cream, so much that some some tourists who are in town see me, and they actually give me their coat, and they're like, what are you doing eating ice cream? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, I have to eat this ice cream. I've been telling people for hundreds of miles, I'm going <laughs> to break this half gallon challenge <laughs> record so um needless to say it uh did not take me 16 minutes to down that half gallon of ice cream it uh shamefully i'm almost ashamed to say this on the air it took me 45 minutes um but i did finish it but you finished got, it wow <laughs> i finished it and i got my little wooden spoon and i vowed never to eat cherries jubilee again and i'll bet you still have that wooden spoon uh, I, I do, I do. And I haven't eaten Cherry's Jubilee. Um, luckily, the second time I hiked the Appalachian Trail, you know, when I got to Pine Grove for an estate park, I knew that I th- I was smarter this time. I didn't tell everyone for hundreds of miles how I was going to beat the record on the, the half-gallon challenge. But, um, you know, I still had to do the half-gallon challenge. Luckily, when I got there, uh, the, the store was closed. Wow. Um, I was setting speed record, so I couldn't wait around for like 12 hours for it to open. So I, I just kept going. I felt, I felt uh, like I tried. It didn't work out. It, it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> likely excuse. <laughs> <laughs> right on. That's great. 
All right, Liz, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Um, I think you have some awesome stories, and I, I, I think you probably inspired a few people to look into this. Uh, every time I talk to a thru-hiker, it just makes me want to get out there even more. So one of these days, may I find the time to do one of these trails uh, top to bottom, and, uh, and maybe we'll see you on the trail while we're doing it. Thank you, Travis, so much for having me on the show. And you know, when when you you're ready to go out there and do it, you know, send me send me an email, call me up, and uh, I'll get you all lined up with what gear to have and what food to eat and all all the sort of intel that usually takes a lot of uh, <laughs> doing the wrong things first before you right get on. <laughs> Learn from the best. I'm good with that. <laughs> it works for me. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks, Travis.